Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what's up, Geekscapists? Welcome to a brand new Geekscape episode. We are here in the Westwood One Studios. And if this is your first Geekscape, I'm Jonathan London. We're going to be talking movies, video games, comics, geek stuff, pop culture stuff. And that's usually what you get every week. Uh, last week, I think you got a little mix of both. We kind of did a Geekscape State of the Union now that it's 2018. We kind of let you know how things are going here with Geekscape. Uh, we are several, several, several months into our relationship with Westwood One. We love hanging out here at the studio and having... Some amazing guests. This week's show is no different. And so if you kind of want to know what Geekscape's all about, maybe listen to the last show or go before that to the show we did with our good friend Casper Van Dien uh, the week before in his new action movie, uh, Showdown in Manila. And then if you really want to know the origins of Geekscape, there's an episode on the feed that's like three ago where I was back in Austin, Texas, and I sat down with the two friends that we used to run a comic book store together in the mid-90s which really led to basically this. When you run a comic book store during things like Marvel's The Clone Saga, um, you're going to see some tough times, and uh, and we made it through, I think. Wait, the store's not there anymore. Never mind, we did not make it through. Our sanity was not intact, but I think listening to that episode, you'll be like, oh yeah, the, the this guy's legit. He's a geek. Uh, tried and true for a long time, so if that's your first Geekscape, this is your first Geekscape, I think uh, I think that'll be a great introduction to just what to expect. Um, today, though, we are actually talking uh, sci-fi. We'll be talking a lot of sci-fi, and we'll be talking a lot of writing with our friend Adam Kornman. He has a new book out. It's the second book in the saga, the Grey War saga, and it's called When the Skies Fall. So we're going to be talking to him about that, and uh, I, I'm feeling good about the episode. Sometimes I come in, and I'm like... <sighs> yeah, I've been doing Geekscape for 12 years, so is my head still in it? Is my heart still in it? Is my body still in it? Can I align my chakras in time to do the show properly? The geek chakras, what would the geek chakras be? You know the chakras that run down your spine? They all have different names. What would the geek ones be? I don't know. You'd have to name one like like uh, Kirby, 
Lee Ditko. That's <laughs> like only if you're into Marvel, but then you got to throw some film in there too, right? So you got to have like a Spielberg chakra. Uh, video games, you'd have to have like a Miyamoto, right? Um, Bradbury would have to be in there, I think. Um, maybe Highland. I don't know. Think about it, Geekscapes. Geekscapists, think about it. What would your geek chakra be comprised of for your geek spirituality, which is kind of why we're all here. That's what we're listening to. We're kind of listening to, our, you know, not that I'm a priest or anything of it, but think about it. To us, this is our, our spirituality. I was talking to my friend uh, Timor yesterday. You guys may not uh, remember Timor from way back in the Geek Drone forums, but he is in from Cologne, Germany. He's a very successful photographer. And he's in uh, shooting some photos for Mercedes-Benz, and we went to dinner last night. And we were reminiscing about the last 12 years that we've known each other. And I remember the first time I met him, I came sprinting. I, he, he, he called me on my cell phone, and he goes, hey, I'm outside. I came sprinting out of my apartment in Los Feliz, jumped into the car, and a dude, I didn't know, I didn't know what he looked like. I just knew him from the forums. I look over, and there's some dude who's like, can I help you? And I, it is not Timor. I, I had jumped into a stranger's car in my excitement to meet this guy that I had only met on the internet. And Timor's in the studio with me right now, but uh, we're going to do a get to know kind of uh, Geekscape hang session podcast later on. So look for that in the feed later. Yeah, that'll be like 30 minutes of me getting to uh, letting you guys know about your community because, again, that's what Geekscape is. So. Uh, let's go ahead and welcome Adam to the community. Uh, Adam, how are you doing, dude? I'm doing great. How about yourself? <laughs> I'm good. Sorry about the little pre-roll. I've uh, I've discovered in doing Geekscape that whenever I do interviews with people, people miss like the community aspect or, hey, what's going on in your life aspect of Geekscape, which I think I try and pepper through the episodes. But, um, but I've heard that people want to know a little bit more about how things are going. So... That's a little bit of the pre-roll. Um, trust me, Geekscapist, if this goes too well, that entire section will be taken over by advertisements. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Adam, I got your recommendation to come on the show from my good friend Bob Peterson. And uh, he runs California Cold Blood. Uh, it's a publication company. Like they, they put up books, like legit books, not like, no offense to the four-colored funnies, but like not like comic books. He puts out, like, real books that will take you time to read. Like, whole pages, tomes of stuff and knowledge. <laughs> Which is so appropriate, because whenever you talk to Bob, I'm like, yeah, this guy makes me feel like a mental midget. <laughs> Bob, Bob always kind of appears to me like uh, a man out of time. Uh, I, I imagine him working on 1940s serials and, and walking around with a fedora and yelling at people in a stern, like, Australian kind of voice. Well, but he's a gentleman about it. Oh, absolutely. And, no, he's the nicest guy you'll ever and, meet. And the, and the thing, too, about Bob is he has such a better voice than, than me. Like, he should be doing this. His oh, voice, he's got a great voice. His voice, voice is so crisp. He just has a good voice. And he's just a nice dude. And, um, and for sure, like, I have not checked in with Bob recently about, like, how things are going with California Cold Blood. But... Over the you know over the last decade plus of doing Geekscape, a lot of friends of Geekscape have started their own in, you know publications or initiatives or comic companies or music labels. Da 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 da. And when Bob started California Cold Blood, I was like, "Whoa, wait a minute! You're doing this in the age of like Barnes and Nobles going away and brick and mortar like bookstores going away and publishing." I don't. I mean, 
granted, I don't know enough about the publishing industry. I um, I barely know English, but uh, like it just sounded like, dude, if you're not super passionate about this, <laughs> you're gonna lose your shirt, or like this might be gone in a in a matter of months. It just seemed like such a risky endeavor, and here we are, several years later. Well, I mean, with the publishing industry is it's evolving, and if you don't evolve with it, you're going to pass away. Mm-hmm. I, Borders didn't learn, so they fell to the Amazons and and, and the other digital marketplaces. Sure. With things like Kindle and the Nook, uh, and even reading on your iPad becoming so prevalent, a uh, modern day publisher has to be prepared to really branch out in directions they may not have considered before. So a lot of modern publishers are starting to look at how do we get into the Audible formats? How do we look at maybe graphic novel formats? And they're really expanding how they uh, treat what was the old traditional publishing model. With California Cold Blood. Uh, and and the parent company, Rare Bird Books, mm-hmm. it's a very forward-focused company. And I think that Bob, Bob brought a lot of that um, ingenuity when he proposed, hey, let's open up this imprint for, for sci-fi fantasy. It's we need to be not just a new publishing company for you know, the SoCal area and eventually the world, uh, but we need to be modern. We need to be looking at where the industry is going and where we can lead it so that we don't go the way of a lot of different publishers and, and kind of fail – uh, uh, fail to adapt. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the like, the biggest lessons that uh, that the publishing company is learning over the last decade or so. If you don't have any kind of new spin on the traditional model, you're going to fail out. Um, I, uh, Rare Birds started doing vinyls to go along with some of their bigger authors. They did a, a vinyl r- reading for Chuck Palahniuk when he did uh, Fight Club 2. That's so, cool. Little things like that. Something that's just, it may seem gimmicky at first, but it's also a way to hook in an audience that um, that may not be as willing to jump on books the way that we used to. Right. At the same time, the big big publishers, or not big publishers, big bookstores mm-hmm. seem to be kind of going away. The Barnes & Nobles are kind of struggling. But indie bookstores and your local bookstores are actually starting to thrive because there's a niche to them. There's a, um, like a, a nostalgia to going mm-hmm. into a bookstore and getting that that stink of old glue and paper and just being like, ah, this is what books smell like. And there's like a sense of discovery too about going through and actually flipping through the books and you're not going to get that digitally. Absolutely. Right. There's a tactile thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I know it sounds kind of hipstery, but hey, we're in SoCal. Let's, let's go with it. <laughs> but having something that you can actually touch and feel, uh, there, there's still something about that. There's still a, a sensory enjoyment to it. And I think that that's why the book, the book industry and the publishing industry, it's not going to go away. It may just change, and, and there'll be hills and valleys that we'll kind of get through. Sure. And also there's a a living, breathing person in those bookstores that can give you recommendations. I think that's the biggest part. Yeah. I, I, when I first started uh, uh, putting out books, um, the biggest thing was the cover. Like, mm-hmm. if, if you didn't have a catchy cover, you weren't going to sell anything because it's Amazon right? it was, sure. or digital marketplaces. If people don't like what they see, they just keep scrolling. But in a living bookstore, uh, yeah, you absolutely, you have somebody who can be like, oh, so you like Heinlein. Well, I have a recommendation for a new author for you. Um, that's why yeah. I love going into comic book stores because you always get that. Mm-hmm. If, if it's a good comic book store, you're going to get somebody who knows the characters, who knows uh, the different publishers and can really direct you towards something that more often than not you're going to like. And I think I just remember after the, I left the comic book store – <laughs> that I talked about it earlier. Um, I worked at Blockbuster. Oh, and takes me back. we always had like those staff recommendations, right? Like, the, like I was so excited to put my staff recommendation movies up there, 
you know, um, I can probably remember a few of them. And Geekscape, is you can probably name a few of them just having known me. Um, but uh, that is something that you get with those brick-and-mortar stores, those indie stores, uh, that you don't get it elsewhere. And also, you know, on the music end of it, just the every I think that every store has to have their non-traditional layout, right? Like there's that there's that larger way of going into a bookstore. And granted, they're going to have their science fiction fantasy section, and and maybe that that might include graphic novels. It may not. They're going to have their fiction section, their non-fiction, their you know their biographies, their, you know maybe based on industry. Da da da. da. Um, but then you get like those weird nook and cranny like like sections of the bookstore that have some weird classification to them, you know. And two weeks ago with Casper, we were talking about how even Blockbuster had their action section, but also had their super action section for those movies that you know were just going to be celebrated on a TNT like at two a.m. with like you know some dude kicking a motorcycle into like an explosion or something. You know, you're just gonna get something like that. <laughs> Um, so basically, the best movies ever made. The best movies ever made. So, so talk to me because um, is this now? Did the first book in the Gray War Saga get published by California Cold Blood as well? Yes. And so, so talk to me about the relationship with California Cold Blood and Oddbird. Oddbird. Rarebird. Rare, Rarebird and Rarebird. So Rarebird is like was like a pre-existing bigger imprint. And I mean, maybe Bob is better at talking about this stuff. I don't know. Um, but like, did they acquire? California Cold Blood, or they they have like an agreement where it's like, hey man, we like we like that you're finding this like cool niche stuff for us. Let's you know, like we we'll help you out in publishing it. Well, I and Bob would absolutely be yeah. a, a better knowledge source for this, but from from what I saw happening, Rarebird existed and was putting out uh, uh, self help books and um, nonfiction and and really good stuff. They were a little you know bringing in authors uh, from all walks of life from really different perspectives uh, to. To write interesting, uh, not tell-alls, but interesting autobiographies about sure. their their particular walk of life. They didn't have a great fiction arm for sci-fi or fantasy, and Bob saw that that opening. He saw that this is a company that has a far reach. Uh, they can get anywhere in the world. They work with a PGW Publishers Group West. It's it's a fantastic opportunity for sci-fi and fantasy authors in the SoCal area to get their foot in the door. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had already been doing California Cold Blood. Like he'd already been doing he, it. He'd been working himself. his own his own publishing arm. I don't I don't know when he started calling it California Cold Blood, right. but he'd been writing books for years. He right. he had novels already at uh, Omega Ball and The Odds. He had he'd had his stories that he was ready, but he was going through his own publishing company rather than uh, yeah. I remember using having imprint. him on for The Odds. Yeah, but when he pitched to uh, Rarebird, they were excited because this was an opportunity not only for them to get into a new line of business in the publishing industry. But to have somebody that passionate driving it and really finding the authors who would fit with his vision and, and to them, that, that just that rings true from a business perspective. That's somebody who is going to do the legwork that maybe they weren't as interested in doing or they didn't have the knowledge base to do. And now you have the right person, the right talent to really put it all together. That's uh, cool. When I, uh, I wrote The Grey Wars, the original, uh, the original run of the, of the book years and years back um and it was just hot garbage just i could not figure out how to make how to tell the story i was a young kid when i was writing it yeah, well yeah t- uh, tell me like <laughs> where did you grow up like what was so i grew up in fort worth texas uh-huh. uh which was when i was growing up there it was starting to become a little bit more urban but it was still a suburban town oh, I, mean, I, was, I remember fort worth my, my um 
my half sister lives in Fort Worth. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I grew up in Austin, so my half sister, yeah, she oh, lives so in Fort Worth. Oh, so you're a yeah. fancy Texan. <laughs> I'm a progressive Texan, I believe. Oh, yeah, but, that, that but would I be think an that's accurate what we're Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Austin's like, oh, where are you from, where are you from boy? Austin, oh, you fancy boy. Um, but I mean, Fort, you know what I heard? And she's been wanting me to get, she was wanting me to come visit the Dallas Fort Worth area is that arcade where you pay a lump, like you pay like 10 bucks, like going in and you can play forever. <laughs> Have oh, you heard wow. about this place? I haven't heard about it. Because she's a big board gamer and like, and she knows that I'm big into like arcade games and video games and stuff like that. And so she and her husband over Christmas were like, you need to come up to Dallas Fort Worth because there's this place that you pay like, Maybe it's six, seven dollars, and then <laughs> it's like when those kids back in school, like the, you know, like the kids who were wealthy, like when their parents would rent out the arcade for two hours and you have <laughs> unlimited quarters. It was like, whoa, that's the that's the friend you want. Uh, it just seems like that kind of opportunity. So I may be visiting the Fort Worth area soon to play video games. When I was in high school, there was a place. I I can't remember. I think it was just called the Gaming Center. Uh Uh, And it was in a strip mall. And you'd go there and you'd pay hourly to have access to everything that they had. And they had had, uh, PCs. They had an Xbox. They had a PlayStation. And they they would always have new games coming in. So my buddy and I would go there because they had Star Wars Galaxies, uh, the the first Star Wars MMO. And, I mean, we look back on it now and like, oh, that was a bad version of an MMORPG. But at the time, hey, I I really loved the idea that I was going to be a Jedi. Right. But... We started playing it right when it came out. And I don't know if you remember, but the they had the strangest idea of how this game would go. It's like, in order to become a Jedi, nobody was a Jedi at first, but in order to become one, you had to max out two classes. But each character, every time you rolled, you would have a different mystery class that you had to perfect. Once you did that, it would roll constantly, uh, like just, just behind the scenes rolls and if you were lucky, you'd get an email saying, hey, something's going on in you. This guy has a quest for you. But it would it would take hundreds of hours just to get a maybe to maybe become a Jedi. Oh, and wow. then you would go down that path. And then I don't, was like remember, the third, I don't remember that at all. It, but, it was, I mean, I never it was played a crazy it, but, business model. But I don't remember anybody talk, talking about that. So, okay, so like in any RPG, you're rolling character stats. And let's say you have like a lot of charisma or strength. I don't, I'm just going with traditional, you know, Dungeons and Dragons on this one. And there's a mystery stat somewhere, and it could be like your speed, it could be your strength. You don't know which of these it fell on, but it's a stat you know of, but you don't know that that's the one with the asterisks on it. Is that what you're exactly, saying? and and also related to the jobs. So right. if you were a smuggler, if you were a soldier class, a rogue class, you had to max out that class as well. Right, and. Again, it, it was all a mystery. You had no idea. And I think at the end of the first couple of years, there were three Jedi or, so or a very, very going, low number Jedi. So let's say you're a smuggler, but you have a lot more fun playing as this or that. Like you could you could be going down the wrong route the entire time you're playing. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's tough. Well, the <laughs> you thing you was, want to play a Jedi so bad and you're like trying to be super noble, but it's like, well, if you'd, already, if you'd only gone down that smuggling route. And, and I mean – you you were telling the the story of your character in your head, and you were like, "Oh, once I get this Jedi thing, though, this is how it's going to turn." It was it was this great idea that never really came to fruition. But what really turned everybody is, I think it was a third or fourth major update. They just scrapped that, and now you could just choose to start as a Jedi. <laughs> and so all these people put in hundreds of hours into this game, including yourself, and then, including yeah, me. Yeah. And, and I was paying by the hour totally. to sit down at a computer and then oh, pay by no. the hour to play this game, and. And then they're like, oh, no, you can just choose to be a Jedi now. And I was like, F this, we're done. And that burned me on MMOs for a while. 
Whoa. And how, how long did it take for that update to show up where they were like, forget it. We want Jedis in the game. I want to say it was a, a year and a half into it. Um, but yeah, it was it was not so quick that you'd be like, oh, no, they're on the uptick. It was long enough that anybody playing was absolutely burned. I just remember one day I'm like, you know, I haven't played that game in a while. And I log in. Everybody's a Jedi. And I'm the I'm the dumb you know so that's soldier prequel. walking around going what the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah, now it's just it's the old republic, but yeah, not as good as the old not republic. Cool. <laughs> and and that was the problem I had with the so basically you lived out the prequels because I'm guessing from what you're saying <laughs> is that I'm just from like guesstimate that you were in high school and you were able to go to this place called the Game Zone or whatever this place and you were able to pay for like the Xbox by an hour. I was like, oh, he was a kid and the Xbox is up. I was in grad school i believe um so, so i'm guesstimating your age but i just remember that span of the 90s where really all you had one of the timothy zahn novels and a couple of those comic books that dark horse was putting out and and you were like you had again that narrative not unlike your experience with the the with the, the mmo like you're like oh this is what the star you start hearing about the movies coming back and you're like oh the, naturally that's what it's going to be like exactly when these movies come out there won't be that many jedi because han has no idea what like doesn't believe in the force and it's 20 years after every you know luke's been born or luke is maybe 18 so you're like okay so um, Obi Wan, you know, went into hiding. These are the things you knew going into the prequels. Is that Obi Wan smuggled Luke to Tatooine? He was a Jedi, and Luke is eighteen years old. Okay, so whatever Obi Wan was is only eighteen years since the last time he was that one of these things. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, so in eighteen years, this thing has become a mystery to people who are all over the galaxy, like Han. Like he's been in every nick and cranny of the galaxy, yeah. so, and he still doesn't believe the Force. So I'm guessing when these prequels, there won't be a lot of Jedi because they're going to be like the the G men. They're going to be like secretive. They're going to be the people who only get to do the job. Then the prequels show up. And there's ba- these bastards are on every corner. Just, <laughs> They're like beat cops. It's like a Starbucks. Everyone has a Jedi. <laughs> I'm like, the prequels are like, wait, wait. There's half the galaxy seems to be Jedi. <laughs> this damn thing. And they're doing some pretty impressive things that you know a guy growing up in this era wouldn't have heard about him. <laughs> and Han was alive during that. During like, I'm like the Clone Wars. During the it's clo- a pretty big Han thing. was alive. He was a kid because <laughs> he's older than Luke. You know, like let's say he's he, got to be what thirties and maybe original at the oldest at the at the oldest he's in his thirties, at his youngest let's give him five six years. Mm-hmm. Yo, I remember I ran Contra. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I remember it. It was on the news. I would have remembered the Clone Wars on the damn news if I was five six years old. Now you could you could say, well, he's a smuggler. The planets that he frequented were probably less uh, less regulated, so maybe the Is Jedi's a- were less likely to go there. But he would have had to know that known quantity in order to avoid it. <laughs> well, he would have known that I can't go to you know, Republic-owned space or, or Senate-controlled space. I can't go space. to Republic or Senate-owned space because there's fucking Jedi. <laughs> there's Jedi there. Because there's guys with laser swords. It's going to get real. <laughs> well, I, wonder, I wonder what he didn't believe more. Was it uh, obviously the laser swords? Hey, guys, we're flying in spaceships and there's, you know, moon-sized space stations. That I can get. What a jerk. But uh, being able to do this, wah, I mean... It all falls apart here. 
and I've said this many times on Geekscape because it is a big, it, it gets stuck in my craw. <laughs> his co-pilot had Yoda on his back during the Battle of Kashyyyk. <laughs> like, like that's that's the end of it. It's like Han. Sure, you may be eight, like eighteen years re- removed from Obi Wan being a Jedi. You may be like I've been from one side of this galaxy to another. You can't convince me there's some all powerful force. Ask your buddy. Ask the dude who has a life debt to you. Ask the guy. Like, come on. See, to that I posit. I don't think he actually speaks. Does uh, not a Wookie. Not I think a that. Damn word. I think he just fakes it, and Chewbacca is too nice of a guy to correct him. Yeah, no, he's the racist girl. He's that racist mom in your neighborhood <laughs> who tries to speak to the day laborers in Spanish, <laughs> and just adds "o" to every word. Yes, she's like "worko today o." <laughs> like, like that's basically. And what just, I don't want to start anything. Yes. <laughs> Yes, Listen. CC. Well, I, well, I mean, you look at it in, in the new trilogy too, where Ray is what eighteen years removed from <laughs> the blowing up of the second Death Star by Better. the most famous Jedi in history, and now it's all legends. It's like, wait, he really existed. I think people forget shit really quickly in the Star Wars universe. Because, that could be. I, I mean, maybe that's a problem they had a long time. We were ago. talking about this last night. I was like, you're telling me that the that the last Jedi starts twenty minutes. Or so after the, yeah. the last movie, <laughs> and already they don't have a fleet. It's like obliterated. They just blew up the Death Moon, whatever it's called, and like the. It, but suddenly the First Order is like, but Empire they're doing great. Straight. Yeah, First like, Order gangbusters. Like, uh, you just lost your Death Star. What are you talking about? <laughs> so you blow up the seat of the Republic. Which they did, the New Republic. They blew up the seat of the New Republic, and suddenly everything goes to shit within 20 minutes. Like, this they, sucks. They blew up, like, what, five planets? Uh, that's, yeah. I, with, I, with the Starkiller base? Yeah, with Starkiller base. They blew up, like, five planets. Those are some strategic-ass planets. I mean, Gal- and they were, like, all clustered together, which yeah. is really just a mistake. Um, I mean, come on. <laughs> let's get some tactical sense, New Republic. But how – I've just I'm, – I'm, there's a lot of things about the new trilogy that I'm not quite gelling with, but – how did these ragtag group of new Nazis come together so quickly? Right. And now they're following uh, uh, Donald Gleason all around mm-hmm. the galaxy so he can scream at them uh, and emo uh, Darth Vader. I mean, well, it's, they're following Snoke. Well, oh, I, and Snoke is going. I want to know how did Snoke convince anybody? I mean, he walks into a bar. Don't worry, guys. The face. It's uh, you won't have to worry about it. It's a height. <laughs> you know, what? it's a height thing. <laughs> Snoke is like eight feet tall. So like, guys, guys, I'm taller. He goes, guys, listen to me. You're going to want to follow me because when it gets crowded, you can still see me over people's heads. That, exactly. You won't get lost he, when we're at Disneyland. He's a natural leader. <laughs> he's a natural leader just by the fact that he's tall as hell, you know, and has, you know, and so I like this Adam guy. Um, Geekscape is, if you guys like this Adam guy, his book, uh, When the Skies Fall, it's the second book of the trilogy. In, in, is this a trilogy? Let's talk. So originally it was going to be a trilogy. And you, we, oh yeah, we were talking about this. So you were born in Fort Worth. You wrote this way back when. So, so, so I, lay it out for me. All right. So it, it's a crazy story. It's um, it's I. This is going to sound kind of like I'm putting on airs. So nine eleven, literally nine eleven, two thousand one. Uh, uh I, I go to school and then my teacher comes in and she's like, "Hey, we're we're going to go into a different room. We have to watch this. This is a moment in history. In you school. need to be a part of it." And yeah, I mean, I, it's okay. uh, my junior, sophomore, junior year. Sure. And. We watch the news. It's it's horrifying. Everyone's kind of dealing with it their own way. And then they're like, okay, well, now it's time to go to your next class. And in my head, I'm like, I can't think right now. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, this is this, this is our Kennedy assassination. This is a moment where we're, we're always going to remember where we were, what we were doing. 
So we go to my next class, and it's computer uh, application. So basically, our, our teacher was kind of nuts. He would have us play Flight Simulator, and that was his idea of computer learning. <laughs> but it's, it's just PCs. So we're, we had uh, Microsoft Word on there, and I'm like, you know what? For the next 45 minutes, I'm just going to throw thoughts on paper and see what happens. And so I just free wrote for 45 minutes, and what I ended up with is pretty much beat for beat the first chapter of the book. It was uh, just of the first book of the first book. Okay. I'm just I gotta get. I've got f- f- emotions and anger and all this stuff I want to get out, and it's um, you know I, I'm patriotic, but also there's so many questions now that I have. So I just threw out everything that I had on paper, and and then it sat on that computer. I emailed it to myself, and then over the next year, I just kept adding to it. I just mm-hmm. added. Well, what am I thinking now? Well, now we're going to war in Afghanistan. What am I thinking now? Now we're doing this. Well, what am I thinking now? I'm starting to get more political. What am I thinking now? And I kept I kept building this thing up. And by the time I graduated, I had eight chapters written out. And I thought it was fantastic. My mom, <laughs> of course, is going, Adam, you're so, this is so talented, amazing. Yeah. Um, you're like, it's the next Harry Potter. <laughs> guys, come on. I'm doing great. <laughs> but this is who I'm casting in the movie. <laughs> oh, I, I already dreamcast this thing four times. <laughs> I get to college and I, I continue working on it. At the where end was of, that? Where was that? So that was Boston University. Okay. And I took some creative writing classes with with uh, uh, Theo Epstein, phenomenal New York Times bestselling author, who told me you gotta you gotta get out of sci fi. You need to write something more realistic. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm just not gonna listen to you. Yeah. Um, and no. he's he. I really should. He's a phenomenal writer, but. I want to write sci-fi. I want to write space and explosions. And, and I think that fiction in in sci-fi for sure is a great way to look at the truth you know it's a great way to, to to hold it in your hand and take it apart and think about metaphor and in in it's a great prism through which to look at things absolutely i think that if you look at some of the best sci-fi um i mean your your bradbury's your Heinlein's, your cards um they use science fiction and and really the art of satire to point the camera at parts of the world that maybe we're not really comfortable looking at i think mm-hmm. Um, Orson Scott Card was able to look at how are we raising children in a military style, which you know, he took it to the extreme. Right. But you can look at the way that you know kids are reared today and the way that our education system is built to really guide people to making certain decisions, to make them cogs to fit in a certain machine. If you look at Heinlein, Heinlein was writing from a more pro-fascist perspective, but you can take that work and understand, well, if that – mindset was really taken to its extreme this is where things could end up this is what a military fascist society that's not quite genocidal towards humanity but genocidal towards any other xenos that come out would look like um and it it allows you to get a little bit of introspection Uh, i think bradbury obviously had some of the best um you know pointing the camera at the world and really shining a light on the dark spaces uh, of many modern sci-fi writers but you can go back in history and look at some of the early horror writers like lovecraft uh, Edgar Allan Poe and be able to see a lot of those same things. Mm-hmm. It's just creepier. So, you know, they did a good job. Yeah, and yet you were recommended to try something that, I mean, was it was it like, hey, you know, because keep in mind, my, my father and I had the conversation over uh, over a break. I spent some extended time in Austin and he was like, this uh, Geekscape thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, he got halfway through a sentence because I was like, nope, it stays. <laughs> nope, it stays. This thing you've been doing for a decade. You ever want to just like get into law or Geekscape something? Escape thing, <laughs> and it's just, and it could be a generational thing where it's like it, it were, it just it doesn't they they just don't get it, and it's cool, and I like I can continue to explain it to my father, but this is my audience in my little home, and it's and we carved it out for ourselves, and 
you meet people from all over the world and and um and it's worked um you know but people don't you know don't people see how they made it you know people see how they succeeded or how the people they look at succeeded and they are trying their best to to keep you from getting your cuts and bruises you know what i mean and and i think the cuts and bruises are good and i was listening to uh somebody speak today uh on a podcast and i thought it was the greatest thing ever it was don't have heroes it was because the, your heroes a you you don't know them right you never meet them and you don't know what they've gone through like think about recently like as much as we love Stan Lee here on Geekscape, we all have questions now about the, you know, what he went through, the scandal that he supposedly went through with, you know, harassing women in the nursing home or this and that, or his nurses. I, he's not in a home, but the the nurses. And you start thinking, oh, okay. It reminds me of like when Charles Barkley came out and said, I'm not a role model, right? Um like, are your parents even role models? Because they become so human to you over the time that you're growing up. So I, I keep thinking about this idea of like, um, and I, this is just what I was thinking about Geekscape. Is feel free to throw in your two cents on the forum uh, on our Geekscape Forever uh, group on Facebook or uh, on you know wherever your podcatcher is that you're using right now. So if you're on SoundCloud, go ahead and leave a comment. But uh, what you think about the idea of like not having heroes? Because Geekscape is built around all this stuff. Like we love our heroes. We love our Luke Skywalkers and this and that, but um, you don't ever really know them. They're all presentational yet as kids, we're modeling ourselves after them, right? Peter Parker's teaching us right or wrong. You know what I mean? Don't give up this and that, right? Um, real life heroes, real human being heroes, flawed, Right. So I don't know. It's just something I was pondering. And it sounds like this teacher is someone who uh, was just trying to do his best to keep you from get, getting the, the, getting the, you know, it's like <laughs> getting kicked in the teeth kick. by publishers. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? It's 2018. And how many franchises are being built on your dramas, pal? Well, all sci-fi all the time. As, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the TV show <laughs> Leverage. Yeah, one of my favorite shows of all time. But uh, the no, never mind. IT IT character all the time. Age of the Geek, baby. I mean, mm-hmm. that's we are living through one of the greatest geek revolutions uh, in history. And I think that our parents are really coming from a place of uh, not not fear, but they've seen what works, right. and they've seen that hard work and trade craft and uh, the medical career, the law career. That's what worked for their generation. That's what got them from uh, you know either out of a recession, depending on how old they are, or in the baby boomer era, these were the jobs that really made you money. We came up in the age of the geek, in the dot-com mm-hmm. boom, in uh, cryptocurrency. This, this, in this cryptocurrency. Like, with just stuff that doesn't make it. We've got Elon Musk coming out and being like, hey guys, I'm not making zombies in a factory, trust me. I don't know if you guys have been following him on Twitter. He's one of the funniest guys to follow on Twitter because yeah. he just trolls you with science. And there's, I mean, but there's a, but there's, the generation we're in has a level of transcendence to it. It's like we're not going to disrupt what came before, right? Like, like Uber and Uber and Lyft did the, their business models didn't dis. Sure, it, it disrupted taxis, but it, the the goal wasn't to disrupt taxis. The goal was to transcend taxis. To here's an idea beyond taxis. You know what I mean? Like. Cryptocurrency isn't like, oh, we're going to shake up the economy. We're going to destroy the, the economy. It's we're going to transcend the economy 
So if the metaphor is J.P. Morgan looking up and being like, okay, we need a railroad across the United States, not no single person can pay for that railroad. So I'm going to have to sell shares and stock in the railroad. And it gave a giant boon to the creation of the American stock market in the creation of the, the railroad. Those were still fairly wealthy people buying pieces of that railroad to stretch all the way to California. Mm-hmm. Today, we've got this cryptocurrency. When you look at it, it's like, oh, I can't afford pieces of the railroad, but I can afford a pickaxe. And it allows anybody to, in microtransactions, create something together. And I think that comes out of where our minds are now that we're like, oh, there's a social way to lift these problems, right? There's a way to, you know, even things like Reddit, is there's a there's a social journalism aspect to this. It's like, oh, you know, now, well, now that our journalism is being attacked, <laughs> but, but there's a citizen journalism aspect to where we're at, you know, especially with things like blogging and Twitter, the Twitter sphere. There's this, you know, it's, it's it's a shared ability for better or worse. Well, even look at what but we're doing right now. That's kind of where we are right. now, and our parents have no idea where that was. That was no generation but ours. Absolutely. I mean, the the concept of a podcast, right. Right, even just a few years ago, would have been like, ah, oh, well, you know, that's not that's something that maybe like a radio personality who does two shows a week, but he also has a podcast. And like, oh, well, that's a that's a known quantity. That's somebody that I already follow. It was a limited marketplace sure. where. Only those who either had the connections or really were the cream of the crop could succeed. But now with, you know, a microphone and access to the Internet, you can start your own radio show and some amazing ideas can come out of it. I think you're absolutely right. We're living in that social era, the age of the crowdfunding, the age of um, Indiegogo and Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, some things come out of it that are – that are misses. I want to make mashed potatoes. Yeah, homemade mashed potatoes. <laughs> homemade mashed or potatoes. Uh, what was it? Potato salad. But it was potato salad. Yeah, yeah. But you also get Veronica Mars movie is crowdfunded. You get video games, huge, huge video games that are crowdfunded. Right. Um, uh, the, and not all of them are. Uh, what was the one the Mega Man creators? Wait. <laughs> like really pissed everybody off. What was it? Like, the, I mean, it, it broke Josh Jackson's heart on Geekscape Games. He was like, "You bastard!" What was the name of the damn game? It came and I mean, it did not come and in, in go because it didn't come and you know because it took like two years of like moving the goalpost funding mm-hmm. on this thing. What was it called? I forget. Well, I, I've fallen down that rabbit hole with Peter Molyneux a couple times because oh, no. he'll, he'll come out and he'll be like, "Hey guys." I know that I have failed to meet promises every time, but I got a new game and it's going to be the best game ever. And I'm like, oh my God, here's $50. I'll wait. I'm, I'm, I love everything you do, even though you disappoint me every time. And then he does it again. But I mean, the first, I mean, the first <laughs> Fable was his first game, the first game that everybody loved, right? Uh, well, yeah, he, he had Fable, he had uh, um, Populous. It was, I mean, or it was, goddess? Yeah, no, Populous. But and those then, were popular games. Like those well, were good Populous games. Populous was kind of culty, cult classic. And then he had Black and White, the original Black and White, uh-huh. which was. More popular, and then Fable, and it was like this is genius. This guy has a, this guy knows a golden what's up. touch, and and Fable, the original Fable, it awesome. was good. It was like this is way different, and that made it epic. I and then it. Fable Two, he starts going out like guys, guys, you're going to be able to start your own economy. You're going to be able to rule a country. You're going, and I'm like, I'm writing down all this stuff. I'm like, I, I got to save money. I got to buy all of the copies of this game. And then it comes out, and he's like, Ah, we didn't have time. So it's <laughs> he slashed stuff. There's a dog. Hey guys, there's a dog. I'm in. Like yeah, he sure. always gives you just Fable enough. To as, keep... I mean, it wasn't as good as Fable One, was it? Fable Two wasn't as good. Fable Three was about as good as Fable Two. This thing, they were good enough. But 
Not you also had to cut all the missed <laughs> right. promises that were going into it. And then when he did the, the, the Fable on Rails thing for Connect, that was kind of like, ah, right, now you're just grabbing cash. Now you're just grabbing cash. What about creating a, a human child or whatever the heck you wanted to make? Milo? Yeah. Uh, was it called Milo? Elmo? What was it called? You know, remember so, yeah, I, something like that. And it was like, the, it was like a kid that would talk to you. And I'm like, no, nothing good will come of that. Well, I, I think that I love it when game designers try something different. Like, do you remember? Uh, of course. I, I think it was like the Dreamcast, Project Nautilus. Yeah, and we were talking about Nintendo Labo last week. Yeah, like, well, I think that's a I genius move by Nintendo. Genius move. You guys want to go VR? We'll go old school, hand, like cardboard. Yeah, it's, it's a cardboard freaking game we'll system. Go anti-tech. It's, exactly. And you know what? I think everybody who's into that sort of thing, that's going to be their system. Mm-hmm. Not, not, I mean, there's so much out there that not everything is going to be designed for everyone. And right. I think Nintendo really understands that. They're not marketing to 100% of gamers. They're marketing to their, their window, and they're nailing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at Breath of the Wild, which I think is one of their best tentpole best games game they've made. Yeah. Um, but it's not for everybody. It's not for a specific type of gamers. It's maybe not for the Mass Effect type gamer. It's it's designed to be a little bit a little bit different and yeah. really kind of hone in on the craft. I think that's something that uh, really good auteurs and, and designers are starting to realize. If right. you hone in on a market, you can you can still break the mold. Look at um Deadpool. So right. uh, Deadpool, everyone said you can't make an R-rated movie. You can't make an R-rated superhero movie. You can't make uh, a superhero movie with that much violence they they threw all this stuff you can't do it and yet still billion dollars well the hundreds and hundreds yeah, of millions, almost was, a billion dollars that yeah. this thing made at the box office worldwide for sure uh wonder woman you can't make female-led superheroes you can't make a female directed superhero yeah. movie you can't Again, course correct the dc universe you can't course correct the dc universe all these things nope you can you absolutely yeah. can it's going to blow people out of their out of the water so i think that taking risks this is this is the time to be doing it this is the time to be moving forward and and really opening up your mind to what can be possible in the medium. Bob Peterson did it. Damn right he did. <laughs> um, he took a risk, he and took I am a grateful. Risk with, the, with the California <laughs> cold blood stuff, and, um, and so you have this book, and it's not in, in, in by your standards today. At the time, you thought it was like great, and then but it, I wrote it in high school. In high school, I right. thought I was a great writer in high school. I and get to college, college I yeah. take courses to learn how to write, and I read my stuff, and I'm like, oh my god. This is horrible. Yeah. There's there's grammatical errors, syntax errors, echoes, uh, spelling errors. Everything was just kind of a jumbled mess. Echoes I jumped perspective back and forth. Beats or what? Yeah, just I, I didn't know storytelling beats. So right. it was basically I introduced a character, there'd be a rising action, and then I'd introduce a new character, rising action. It's basically uh, the middle parts of uh, of the Sand Sister saga in Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. We're just like, come on, let's move on. Uh, so... I rewrote it. I rewrote the whole thing that I had. And I only had about nine chapters at the time. I rewrote the whole thing. I got about halfway through the book and I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to work on my screenplays and stuff for class. I'll get back to it. I move out to Los Angeles and I meet, uh, uh, I meet this amazing uh, writer, Scott Tipton, mm-hmm. at San Diego Comic-Con. He's a, a comic book writer, um, uh, novelist. He's fantastic. He runs um, the Blast Off Comics and Comics 101. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So – outstanding guy immediately i'm like oh my god like i, I gotta learn from his you, you know scott tipton scott tipton cool he and his brother write uh star trek the next generation original series they did the mashup with planet of the apes they did the mashup with doctor yeah, who that boom put out and they're those f- are fun they're to read. phenomenal yeah. stuff so he um 
he asked me like, oh, so what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm a writer too. That's amazing. And he goes, oh, cool. What have you written? I'm like, oh, when high school, I wrote this. And in college, I wrote this. And it's like, awesome. What have you written since you graduated? I'm like, oh. Gulp. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm working on a couple things. He's like, all right, I'm going to stop you. Look, it, it's great that you call yourself a writer. And it's great that you're writing. But you have to understand, if you want to be a writer, you have to finish. Right. Writers finish. And that was that was kind of the, the moment when I went, oh, I have not used this, the tool set that I have. So I said, you know what? I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish that thing I started years ago, a yeah. decade ago. And so over six weeks, I got everything I had, all my notes, all my all my uh, old documents, and I rewrote the whole thing Woo! from page one. And I wrote 600,000 words. Oh, my God. Huge, giant stack of paper. And What's that November contest? That, like, it was like NaNoWriMo. NaNoWriMo. I just took a little like, bit longer to do well, it. Well, a little longer. You wrote your butt off. How many... How many Average pages you used to write on NaNoWriMo. So NaNoWriMo, you got to write 1,600 words a day, which is roughly three to four pages. This, I was writing about 10 pages a day. Yeah, so NaNoWriMo. So what, NaNoWriMo? Yeah. You took you six <laughs> weeks. You NaNoWriMo, you destroyed it. You wrecked it. I, I knocked it out of the park. And then I, I, Scott said, hey, look, if you write this, if you finish it, I will edit it for you at a friend discount. Because he's also a, an editor for a major company. So he's... Sure. It's his day job. So I, I paid him some money. He edited it for me. He comes to me and he says, look, I don't say this to a lot of people who give me stuff that they've written because everybody gives me stuff they've written. I'm a writer. People always come up and say, hey, sure. can you read this? I think it might be good. But this is actually good. And you should start showing this around. And that was like the moment. So I started showing it around. I, I wrote all the agent letters, all the publisher letters, immediate rejection just across the board. Uh, which, hey, if you guys want to start a career in writing, get used to rejection. It's yeah. fantastic. And it's like what? Like uh, um, I listened to Tim Ferriss and he talked about how the four-hour work week got um, rejected 27 times. Yeah. You know, and obviously like um, the Harry Potter story is very famous about just the number of rejections. Nobody uh, wants to read about a kid wizard. Come on, yeah. get out of here, JK. <laughs> um, okay, so so you just, you're sending all these, re- you know, things, you're getting rejection letters. Uh did you fall upon Bob or did you say, hey, I'm going to digitally publish? So Bob and I met at, um, I think it was Comics on Comics podcast. Yeah. or, or, or it, it, I went there because a friend of mine, Jessica uh, Jessica Tang, the Jessica the comic oh, book Jessica. girl. Jessica's so, awesome. So she, You're awesome, Jessica. She, she invited us to uh, to go see her on this podcast. We're like, oh, yeah, of course. And they're like, hey, it's a two-drink minimum when you're there. And I'm like, hey, I got no problem with that. Um and then at the end of the show, uh, I bobbed one of the guys on the panel, and he's like, oh, I'm a self-published author. Or this is what I do. And I went up to him. And I'm like, oh, my God. I have this novel. I finished it. I don't know what to do with it. Nobody's picking it up. Should I self-publish? And then me and him just started corresponding back and forth. And he's like, that's great. I'm going to help you. I'm going to teach you a couple things that I learned along the way. I self-published the book. My brother helps me with a grassroots marketing campaign, and we sell about 3,000 copies. And that is on the Amazon Marketplace? That was through, yeah, the Amazon Marketplace. And, the, and you said like it's really important to have a great cover there. For that, it yeah. was all about having a great cover. Uh-huh. And I went with, I think back then it was called Elance, okay. um, uh, the electronic freelance marketplace. Now they have 99designs, which is where I go to for my book covers. And you but go to 99designs and you hire somebody to do your book covers. And you, you start a contest. That's the best part about you it. You just say, contest. hey, I have a book. I need a cover. Pitch me. And you, you set a prize amount. So we set... 250 bucks. So for 250 bucks, if you win this award, show me what you got. And then about 20 or 30 artists will start pitching. And the higher the prize, the more people that you'll get to commit to for it. For sure. Um, so we ended up with 250 bucks, threw it out there, and we ended up getting 20 guys pitching. This one guy pitched one that was like, 
just borderline uh, too close to Star Wars to really work. But sure. he's like, no, 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 I changed it. We we took it to a couple guys we know who know copyright law, and they're like, yeah, you're you're in the clear. It's fine. And we put it out there, and it started selling. And and uh, we went on Reddit, we went on uh, Imager and Facebook ads. We just did the best grassroots we could to sell this thing, and we sold enough that about the same time Bob was starting up California Cold Blood, and he he was going to put out his books, and he had a couple authors in mind. And he calls me up and he's like, hey, how's that? How's the sales going? Like, what's going on with your book? And I go, oh, it's, it's going great. Uh, I have no idea what I'm going to do next. But, you know, hey, book one out and book one of a trilogy. And what year is this? This is 2013. And the book is available now still on the Amazon Marketplace. But you can get a uh, – you can get like right now I've got a printed paperback copy of the second book, Geekscapist. But you can get the first book uh, in paperback and digitally on like for your, like your iPads and stuff? Yes. And the first book, When the Stars Fade, uh, we, we ended up when, uh, when Bob said, hey, look, I'm starting up this company and I want you to be the first author in this table. I'm going to release The Grey Wars through California Cold Blood. First things first, we're going to pull it down from that original self-publishing. We're going to mm-hmm. take a look at it and we're going to split it. So the book one, we chopped it up. We, we took some chapters out. We added a whole bunch of chapters in and re-released the new, the new When the Stars Fade through California Cold Blood. A, and that was that 2015. Was new book one. That was the new book one that was the start of the real live contracted publishing career. And that was a, an amalgamation of, it was just, you, you say you took chapters out, you put chapter what? So <laughs> we, I, 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 know, I had the book in my head for years and years right. and years. And the first time Bob looked at it, he's like, this is great. I love it. I wouldn't change a thing. And then as soon as we sign a contract, he's like, oh, but we got to change a couple things. So we, Damn it, Bob. <laughs> Damn it, Bob. He gets out the red pen. Your sultry like, tones no, have seduced doing? me into this. He gets out the red pen. As <laughs> he, it's just, uh, he just starts marking stuff. And he's like, guys, guys, this character, he's got to go. This character is basically Ooh. the same. I'm like, what are you doing to me? They don't call it California cold blood for uh, I'm was... cold blooded. <laughs> Welcome, Adam. <laughs> we, get, we get through the first book. I feel okay. And then we put it out. And I'm like, oh, all right, yeah, we did it. Book two comes around. And now we've got the back chapters from from the original version okay, but yeah. he's like it's got to be rewritten like, but that's you your have springboard to, to book two and basically you have to do a a complete rewrite of book two Ooh. so that was a year of just tearing things apart putting them back together i give him my draft i'm like you know what i think it's awesome this is great it gets you to the next chapter and he goes eh, you need to kill off a couple of main characters Cold blood. No, you signed with a company called california cold i should have known you should have known the cold-bloodedness was coming and, and that was that was the, I won't say it was a throwdown fight. Bob Bob always wins when we throw down, but, <laughs> but it was it was back and forth. I'm like Bob, I can't do this, man. Like, what are you doing? Anyway? You have to <laughs> and, and, look inside. You know it to be true. <laughs> look inside yourself. Uh, and in in uh, in retrospect, you respect the dude's decision. Oh like. my god! So <laughs> as soon as it's done and it's like out there. I'm like, Bob, I'm sorry. I'm sorry it was a pain in the butt. <laughs> but you were right, and that was the right call, and we should have killed all those guys. And was, he's he's got such a good eye, ear and eye for story structure and for character development that when he makes a suggestion, it's not coming from a place of, you've got too many people, I can't remember all these names. It's, hey, this will make your story tighter. Sure. Uh, this will allow you to explore characters in a different way. So book two is a complete deviation from the original idea. It, it takes the series in a place I wasn't really prepared to go, which for me as a writer was super fun, uh, terrifying and fun. 
Tell us what it's about. Oh, so I, hey. I just realized, like, Jonathan, what are you doing, dude? Tell we us what the, the book, book is about. So um, it's we, we basically so on history. It's a Kantian uh, mystery. No, it's <laughs> – so the book is set 200 years in the future. Humanity has leapt out into the stars. We're starting to take our first steps into the galaxy, and we have found zero life. We found, you know, sapient species, but not so much sentient species. Right. And because of that, the same old grudges that we have now keep coming back. We still have uh, classism. We still have racism. We still have power-hungry people using those beneath them. And we're just getting out of a brutal civil war uh, with our first expanded colony, Mars. Mars and Earth just cannot seem to get along. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of this, a new government is formed. You've got a man who used to be called a traitor is now running everything for humanity it's it's on the precipice that everything's going to fall completely apart. And right as that's starting, two alien races show up by the moon and start fighting their own century-old war using our solar system as the battlefield. And humanity jumps in trying to defend itself and ends up accidentally picking sides. Oh. And we pick sides against the galaxy-spanning horde known as the Boxty, which are on an a, a age of conquest. They are taking over the, the Milky Persian Way. Em- they're the Persian, they're the Persian Empire. Empire. Right. And we're not even Sparta. We're we're Macedonians. We are right. not prepared for what we've just gotten ourselves into. So it's a story about the war for survival. It's about characters trying to survive in their own lives, but also trying to do what's right for the rest of humanity. It's about finding out what's what's the bigger picture between the petty grievances we have with each other versus the real goal of survival of a species. Um, book one is is about that initial contact. It's the first contact up, war. In, or in humanity's teamed up with another alien race and doing this in this battle. Yeah. Okay. So you have two you have two alien races that we introduce. You have well, we the, the Boxty and yeah we <laughs> pick, we pick the the refugee class the Nangalani which are okay. you know the big the Greys they're you know Greys that look a little bit humanoid sure. big big black eyes um, and they are refugees. We we've sided with refugees against the Persian Empire and because of that we're now fighting a losing battle. In yeah. the first book, we lose battle after battle after battle. We lose in the skies. We lose on the ground. But we're humans. We're scrappy. Right. We're not giving up. You know, right. it's, it's Lin-Manuel. We're young, scrappy, and hungry. Um, and then in book two, we pick up right where we leave off, where humanity is now. We're in the thick of it. We think we've got a little bit of breathing room. We're starting to realize that if we're going to win this war, we're not going to win it in these, you know, with what we've got. We have to be willing to not just uh, look at, you know, kind of devious methods, but we have to look at what we can do to ourselves physically to compete with aliens that are so much stronger, so much faster. And we have to ask, what are we willing to become to survive this war? Hmm. So book two is a lot about, um, you know, what, how far will you go stretching your humanity, breaking your humanity to save humanity? Yeah, before you lose your humanity. Exactly. At, right. at what point are you no longer really part of the species? And if you reach that line, what happens next? That's cool. I like that. That's really cool, dude. I'm in. Um, it's written from the perspective of a couple of soldiers, a couple of politicians. Uh, I apologize to politicians. I'm I'm not a big fan of them, so they, it, they tend to come out as a little villainous. But I, I do. I try to make everyone human, and and they have their their reasons, their sympathies. Uh, the soldiers, obviously, I'm writing from a lot of characters that I've met throughout my own life. 
In perspective, um, by perspective, you mean that it, it's still in third person, but it's not. So it's not World War Z style of like people saying their own, literally their first person perspectives. Like exactly, it's, it's yeah. the third person limited. So when you sure. go, when each chapter kind of moves around, you follow a specific character through that chapter, um, and you're you're a little bit in their head, but it also means you don't know things that they don't know. So hmm. when they when they make a decision, you kind of understand their perspective. But then in the next chapter, you realize, oh, crap, they just they just blew it. And and what's going to happen because of all that? Or that. you know that stuff's going to happen. They don't know it, and they're making bad decisions because of it. That's really cool. I love it. Um, cool. When the gray sky, when the skies fall, it's part of the Grey War saga. This is book two. Book three. Now, um, you're just going to have Bob write it himself? Cause God will. So, uh, come on, Bob. Well, that's the thing. We you originally, this was a trilogy, <laughs> right. and uh, and Bob took it, and he's like, no, we're cutting everything in half, which means now it's a six-book series. Jesus, Bob! Bob, cold Bob! blood! He's Bob! cold-blooded! Bob! <laughs> so, book three, which will be When the Ground Breaks, uh, that we're, I'm writing it now. Uh, I have to have both book three and book four done this year, so that Bob can start the editing process, because we want to get book three out in 2019. I'm just glad you're still calling it the editing process. Uh, it's not bleeding. the bloodbath. Like, <laughs> the bloodbath process. I, I wanted to call it the healing process, but it's not. It feels it's. Bru- I hate editing so much. I'm so lucky to have Bob to be like, guys, guys, just x right. that out. Also, have a, a, a Barbara uh, from Fanbase Press and Jody Scape from Fanbase Press. Them. They've been helping the us Dylan. readers and and really, they're, Barbara's they're great. Absolutely uh, uh, invaluable. Like you, you cannot stress enough their perspective coming in because uh, as a male writer. Uh, I have a lot of female characters, and I don't want to write them as uh, just objects, which mm-hmm. which a lot of young writers and a lot of male writers tend to fall into. Uh, Bob actually called me out on it in book one. He's like, hey, every female character bites her lip at some point in a scene. Whoa, dude. And it's just like, why? We're I'm like, like, I don't <laughs> even know. Why do they? Every female character, when they're introduced, I have to describe what they what are their shape like. We're learning a lot about you, and Adam. I know. It's, I'm <laughs> revealing too much. Uh, but uh, you don't even realize you do this until right. somebody points it out and it's like, hey, is that really how you want to come across as an author? And I'm like, oh, crap, no, I don't. So as a male. You can either go back and write all your male characters and be like, how's his butt look? Or you can start <laughs> looking at them. All right, if he's a person, how would how – would, since she is a person, that's how people are. Uh, how would she describe herself? And then kind of lead with that. What is the personality that you're going to meet? What is, right. what is the most important thing I need to know about her? Um, and it's really it's it's informed a lot of my writing. Just understanding that that is something I, I kind of fall back on you, if I don't pay attention. Now, is there a version where you've gone back and rewritten the male character? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Bob enters a room with an ass so tight you can bounce a quarter off of it. Here we go. <laughs> well, I do have when I have a, a, a scenes from a female perspective where I'm falling around some of my female <laughs> the characters. I do have to be kind of like, okay, well, when she looks at a guy, right. is she looking at him with that kind of perspective? And then I wrote that, and then I, I don't know if it was Barbara or one of my other readers. She's like, uh, girls don't think like that. That's not what we look at. When we look at a dude, we don't look at him like that. Listen, I'm like, ah, oh, crap. Listen, creep. <laughs> That's great. You get out. <laughs> That's really, really cool. Um, again, the series is The Great War Saga. Books one and two are out right now. If you If you love reading digitally, go for it. It's up on the Amazon Marketplace, and you can also order – Books. Is there is there a, a way to order the book where you and Bob get most of the money? Like, what's the best? What's the preferred? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Anything. I think I think what's digital versions way? you tend to get a little bit better okay. uh, percentage. But really, if I can recommend anything, it's go to a local bookstore, support your local bookstores, and ask them to order it in. Because cool. one, local bookstores are awesome. You need to make friends with your your local people. Uh, you can go and ask libraries to order them in. I think uh, 
they'll usually get a couple copies, even if for new books. Um, right now, in, if you're in SoCal area, Mysterious Galaxy in San Diego has signed copies in their store. Mm. So if you order online, they can send you a signed copy. That's very cool. Very, and very I wrote cool. some weird stuff in those books. <laughs> um, well, Geekscape is um, – you got the mission there is to go and, and pick up Adam's books. Um, one thing I wanted to tell you, though, was last week – and I almost forgot this until we were talking about VR and Nintendo Labo. Uh, last week, my friend Herschel had a great opportunity for me. He actually got me tickets to go down to uh, downtown Disney in Anaheim and experience this Star Wars VR experience, which is put on by this company called The Void. And I've been very cynical about VR because mainly it feels like you put goggles on your head and you spin. It's like put goggles on your head and you spin because VR is great, but unless it's a rail shooter or something, um, it seems like it doesn't have... Like something like, let's say, uh, your PS4 and your VR and your PlayStation... Uh, it seems like it does, you know, when I hear that, like, the Arkham VR, the Batman VR is only, like, 30 minutes long because the file sizes are so constricting that I was like, oh, well, I'll just wait. I'll just wait. And I found myself becoming very cynical about VR. I found myself thinking that VR, and they had an installation here in by the Grove in L.A. where you could pay and you'd get to, you know, you had to go by appointment and you'd get to do VR for about 20, 30 minutes. Uh, and there was, like, a John Wick experience. I believe there was a Star Wars one, um, and it all kind of fell down to like, hey, you're static in, you know, an X-Wing, you know, and so a lot of things are moving around you, but basically you are just standing and pivoting, Um, and you understand why. You don't want people with goggles on their faces running into walls, (laughs) and that was my, I mean, I know that that, that's what I would do. I would, here's, I mean... Shit, I remember cutting my hand open just playing Wii Sports because I was swinging the damn controller and grazed somebody's watch. Like, if anyone will kill themselves playing VR, it will be me. So I've always been very cynical about VR and just kind of thinking, you know what? This isn't there yet. This isn't there yet. My friend Herschel hits me up because I uh, got Herschel tickets to do a Zelda escape room last uh, spring. And Herschel was like, hey... To pay you back, I got tickets to do this Star Wars VR thing. And I was like, love you, dude. He said it's at 1130 at night. And I was like, oh, okay, let's do that. I'm an older man. And I already taught that day. I was teaching until like 11. So I teach college. And then I hop in the car with Herschel. We go down to Anaheim and we go into this thing. And it's created by this company called The Void. And I think they have it in Orlando. I know they have it here in Anaheim. I think that when on the East Coast, they also had a Ghostbusters experience that they did using VR and Geekscape is I just got to tell you if it's got the void name on it and it's got this experience you got to go because this is what happened again I'm thinking about the the idea that VR is just a pivot and point experience and what they actually did was they've skinned an entire area made up of rooms and hallways and they've skinned it I got to think down to the millimeter um and it's the it's a Star Wars experience it takes place during Rogue One and I'm not going to spoil the story for you, but I'll tell you how it opens. Um, it's during Rogue One, and we are part of the Resistance, um, and we are going undercover as stormtroopers. So we put the the, the pack on. You put a, a, a like a wrist um, bracelet on. Um, you have a hel- You know, you have a, the VR goggles, and 
you're suddenly in this, uh, you know, you get your mission. You're going to go on to Mustafar, which is the lava planet at the end of the third prequel. Um, and they've got a base. They've got this 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 uh, imperial base. And you've, you've got to find out what is in this crate that is being transported to this base. So you're on this imperial transport. You know what they look like, those little things that have the wings come down. And it's been hijacked you know, and reprogrammed or whatever. And so you're undercover on this thing and you fly in and the Alan Tudyk robot is telling you the plot and this and that. And, you know, again, I'm just sitting down in a room. There is a bench, a physical bench, and I'm sitting on this bench and, and everything looks great, but I'm still not convinced. I'm sitting on this bench. I can turn to my left and see Herschel as a stormtrooper. We're listening to everything. We're looking forward Everything seems pretty cool. I can guesstimate that we're still in a room that is roughly six feet by whatever, um, maybe five feet. Uh, But but it does look like we're in this Imperial transport. We come in to Mustafar and we land on this uh, giant platform. And this is where I start saying, holy shit. The doors open and I'm hit with heat. (laughs) I'm just hit with the heat of being on a lava planet. And I go, holy crap. It is then that they're, you know, that they're like, please step out onto the platform. And I'm like, what? And I step up off this bench and I walk forward and I'm literally walking out onto a like skiff, like a little barge. I get onto it and it, and I'm standing there next to Herschel and another stormtrooper, and we fly onto another platform, and a, you know, we're sitting there waiting. We're scanned. Everything's cool. You can continue. A door opens up. I walk into a hallway, into an elevator, and I see this, uh, like I just see a bar on the wall, you know, like a like a control bar, and it's like, you need to manually start the the elevator. And so I, I just grab the thing as if it's real. Like at no point did I ever think that I was in a green room, like floating in space. Suddenly I am on the damn planet. I am in this Imperial base. I'm walking down a hallway. I am in an elevator. There is heat on sections of me based on me leaving the doorway. There is a hallway. There are, there's rumbling when I, I, I just, I, I just naturally reach out and grab the bar as if it's there and I pull it down and the elevator starts and it starts rumbling and I know I'm just in a box that's shaking. I know I am. But it was so fucking cool <laughs> to have this elevator move. And you see the things moving past the elevator. We go down below the lava. We are in this hangar bay. And you see the object you're supposed to keep track of moving. And there's stormtroopers walking everywhere. And I'm like, holy crap. Door opens up. We, we walk into another hallway, which in retrospect is, yes, just the platform that we just walked out of to get into the elevator. Whatever. We're walking in this hallway. I look up. There's an entire hangar bay with things flying around, stormtroopers, it looks amazing. I walk into the, and it's like, if we stay too long, you know, and somebody's over my ears, like, if you guys stay too long, you'll be spotted. Just act naturally. I walk into this little room, and I see blaster rifles in a holder, like stormtrooper blaster rifles. And it's like, just act naturally. And I look at these blaster rifles, and I'm sorry, Geekscapers, I can't help it. I was like, <laughs> fucking A. I reached out, and I grabbed something on the wall that was completely physical. I could feel it. There are buttons that if I push, they're real buttons. Like they skinned buttons into this thing. They skinned like stuff on the wall you can you could work with. And so I'm like, damn, I can open doors. I can do all sorts of stuff. This is, I mean, I, and I'm walking around. I'm walking down hallways. I'm walking through rooms. I'm like doing stuff. 
I couldn't help it. I saw these blasters just sitting there. I picked one up. <laughs> I pick up this blaster, and all of a sudden, eh, eh, eh. it's like, they're on to us. And Herschel's like, what did you do? And I'm like, here you go. And I hand him a blaster. It's a blaster. I'm holding it in my damn hand, and I look down at my hand, and it's skinned like the blaster. It looks freaking awesome. I can only imagine it's a green cube or whatever I'm holding. <laughs> but I'm holding this gun, and suddenly the door op- behind us opens up, and there's stormtroopers standing there all over. And I just start shooting at them. They hit me a couple times. I can feel it. It's like hitting me. It's Dude, I was in it. I go out into the hallway. You could duck behind crates, and they could miss you. Like It was so awesome it was such an amazing immersive experience again if you see a vr experience it could be star wars or otherwise that the void has programmed know that it is totally worth the 30 dollars. it's worth like the one two three month wait or whatever the heck it is to schedule this thing and it was so awesome i won't tell you anything beyond that but i was pulling levers i was pushing buttons i was firing the, the i mean the weight of the blaster rifle in my hands i was shooting i was missing like every stormtrooper <laughs> <laughs> like like every tenth of my shots hit, you know what I mean? But the you know, and I was bumping into Herschel. I shot Herschel a couple times because I turned and he looked like a stormtrooper. I shot him. <laughs> and I mean, there's just a couple. I mean, it was we walked out of there at a little past midnight, freaking out. We had just lived in the Star Wars universe, and again, it's not like you're sitting in a cockpit and stuff is rotating. We were racing down hallways. We were ducking behind cover. We were interacting with buttons and levers and guns. We were in it. We could feel the heat. We could feel the rumble. It was amazing. <laughs> it was so fucking cool. And I could not wait to tell you Geekscape is about it. Um, for sure, if you're making your way to Disneyland or Disney World, you've got to get on the website Again, the company's called The Void, and they know how to make these things because that was the first time I was really convinced about this whole VR thing. I know I'm going to be playing with my Nintendo Labo, loving it, but I now have hope for VR because at no point did my clumsy butt ever think I was running into a wall because it was as presented. The three-dimensional room and environment was exactly as it was skinned and presented down to, I guess, the centimeter. It was awesome. The heat coming off. Dude, I was so pumped. I was so pumped. And there were parts where we were like, holy shit, we're going to die. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Geeks game. I can't recommend it to you enough. Um, so that is my favorite geek thing this week. Um, okay. Let's recircle the wagons. The book is called When the Skies Fall. It is book two of the Grey Wars saga. Adam, thanks for coming on the show, dude. dude thank you so much for having me. This is a fun? lot of fun. Dude, I love it. Geekscape is, I love doing this show. Um, I Again, like, thank you, Bob, for setting this up. I love talking to Adam. And um, Bob's got a ton of other stuff. If you go to CaliforniaColdBlood.com, you can see all the other books, uh, including the odds that Bob wrote. Um, you can see all sorts of stuff up there. So if you guys are into sci-fi, fantasy, all that stuff, uh, Bob's got some pretty great selection. And, um, again, pick up the first two books in the Grey War saga and expect... The third and fourth here, I don't know, next year, year two. Within the next year. We're looking at spring 2019 for book three. Cool. Which Adam. I just got to you know, finish writing it. Well, well uh, Beth Woodward's new book, uh, uh, Embrace the Demon, is coming out, I believe, in the fall. So cool. if you uh, if you like that kind of dark fantasy, urban fantasy, kind of Buffy the Vampire Slayer-ish, uh, it's fantastic. She's an awesome writer. Very cool. Well, 
Uh, Geese Gables, just keep checking that site. And for sure, after you read Adam's books, you're probably going to want more. Um, what do you say we have Adam at the Geekscape booth this summer um, at Comic-Con to promote his books if Adam is headed down to Comic-Con? Maybe that'd be fun. Um, I don't know what else to do, Geekscape. It's like I built this to try and help you and help you educate you in the geek ways and help our friends. <laughs> like, so I don't Keep know what geeky. else to do. Maybe we can get maybe we can get Adam down there and Bob down there. Um, maybe you can bring your uh, your writing to Bob and he can tear it to pieces and first. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> He'll give I, you that cold blood experience. We've we've just painted. <laughs> I gotta, at no point. Should you take anything from this other than Bob is an amazing individual and he's super, super, super nice. <laughs> I love how he painted him as this ruthless <laughs> editor and he's anything but. Um, I mean, in the movie version of his life, he'll have to be a little bit more, you know, the Sorkin's going to write him kind of feeling us. <laughs> he pushes you out a window. I'll, <laughs> I'll take it from here. <laughs> uh, Geekscapes, we love you. You can hang out with us on Facebook at the Geekscape Forever group. Uh, also join the page. That's where we post a lot of our news articles and things that we would still put up on Geekscape.net. Uh, it is the. I mean, we're here. I'm, I'll be back at the studio uh, again next week with a brand new guest. Uh, and later this week, be checking the feed because I'm going to sit down with Timur right now in a little bit and talk to him about our Geekscapist from Cologne, Germany, and all about him. Because you know what? Geekscape is about community. And I want uh, to have you all on the show eventually to come and, you know, just get to know each other. Do a little hang session. Uh, so look for that on the feed. But right now, get yourself to Amazon. Get yourself to a digital marketplace. Or you know what? Even better, get yourself to a local indie bookstore and pick your pick up your copy of the Grey War Saga books one and two. Okay, Geekscapist, love you. Um, Geekscape forever. Adam, any final words? Uh, hey guys, if you want to get started writing, the best advice I can give is the one I was given. Write and finish. That's awesome. Uh, thank you. I'll be taking some of that advice as well. All right. Geek Saves, see you later.